This week's episode of the Sportlight Podcast, we're going to look back at a speech given by NFL quarterback Max Hall at an Especially for Athletes banquet in 2022. It's a great speech Max gave on drugs, on addiction, and on overcoming addiction, and something that I think is worth listening to again. Enjoy. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast for parents, coaches, and athletes. The Sportlight refers to the time in an athlete's life when they have increased ability to affect the culture around them and the increased opportunity to learn life's lessons through sports. This podcast aims to help parents and coaches capitalize on their athletes' precious time in the Sportlight. The Sportlight Podcast is brought to you by Especially for Athletes program. Um, So as I mentioned before... Uh, Max and his biceps are going to come up here in a second and talk to everybody. Uh, I got to know Max, actually the first time Max and I met was on a golf course when he was playing at uh, BYU. And we went out and golfed and, and uh, then he helped me at a little football camp years ago. Did you know that? When you were at BYU. Yeah. Um, over at Velocity Sports Performance there at the Point of Mountain. So he was just in his young 20s. And then um, it was several years ago, he came out and helped us at a football camp. And uh, he was there with Ty Detmer and Mark Brunel and the rest of our crew. And, and I had gotten to know him a little bit from Brandon Doman, who was his coach at BYU. And Brandon just loved Max and had all these cool stories about Max. And so as I got to know Max a little bit, I, um, it, it followed what had, had happened to him. And he'll, he'll talk about that, but he had had sort of the, the opposite or the, the, the negative effects of the sport light. Um, and I, I've used his example actually before. Um, Max knows this. If you Google Max Hall and on the internet, uh, there's a mugshot of Max that pops up. Yeah, everybody skip page one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go to the second page. Yeah, there's a bunch of great stuff. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Max, when he spoke and told his story to all these athletes, um, Max and I, I, I think we bonded from that experience because I don't know, very few times in my life have I had a guy's back like I had Max during that time. I had a, um, a dad write me a letter shortly before the camp, and he said, I can't believe you're going to have a drug addict come and speak to those teenagers. My son, I want my money back. I'm not bringing my son to your camp. And uh, I replied to him and I said, you know, that's, I tried to be as kind as I could to him, but I said, that's the whole reason we have, we're having Max come and talk is because he's been through something that I hope you don't think your son is immune to, that every one of us knows somebody who has struggled with addiction. And he couldn't see past that. And uh, I said, what a shame. That this dad really thinks that our program was just about how to throw a spiral. And uh, the kids who came to that event, it was a Friday night, our camp was on Saturday, we did this event indoors, and, and he spoke, Max spoke, and Max was pretty emotional in it, and many were the kids were, and we had some parents that stuck around to hear him speak. And before we even started the camp on Saturday, I had emails from parents saying, you could, my son could miss the Saturday camp, which was a six-hour camp. We've got every penny of what we came for this, this for this camp for, from just listening to that story. And it, it reminded me that why in the world do we spend so much time and money and, and emotional stress and lack of sleep and all the things we go through 
worrying about our kids' ability to hit a ball or to put it in a hoop or to run fast when we have them at this impressionable age where we can use sports as a way to teach them how to be better wives and husbands and business owners and leaders someday. And why do we spend 99% of the time teaching them how to dribble and 1% of the time making sure that they know how to look somebody in the eyes, say yes ma'am or yes sir, or sit in the front of class or be kind to somebody that's different than them or that doesn't look like them. And Max went through hell because of what he, you know, some decisions he made. And But I'm so proud of him and what he's doing to come back and share a story with others. And um, and I love him and I'm, I'm thankful that he'd take the time to come up here. And I know it's not easy to talk about it, but he's taken a, a moment in his life and the, the, the negative effects of the sport life and now is using it in a way to impact thousands and thousands of people. And so I'm with you all the way, brother. I know you're continuing to fight it and uh, I'm proud of you. And, I appreciate you coming up and sharing it with all of us, okay? All right, Max Hall. Jeez, the pressure's on, I guess. Here we go. First of all, I'm glad it turned into a cheat, cheat day, cheat meal for everybody eating all that cheesecake, so enjoy it. Um, but thank you, Dustin, for that introduction. Um, Super excited to be here. The first thing I have to do though, you know, I came on a weekend and we, we decided to do this, what, a month ago? And then as it got closer, I go, oh no, Friday's my wife's birthday, Sunday's Mother's Day. So I went to Kenzie and I said, are you sure you wanna go? I can go on my own. She goes, no, I'm in, let's go. So I wanna thank you, babe, for being here and sacrificing. So, I mean, that talk, I mean, that was what? Five, six years ago when I first shared my story at QB Elite, and when Dustin asked me to do that, especially right before I got up, my heart started beating out of my chest. I was so nervous to tell my story. I, I think at that point I still didn't have really the self-confidence. Um, I was dealing with anxiety stuff, and um, that was the first time really in public that I, that I did that, and so I'm just so thankful I had the impact on those kids. Um, but my story is unique, and I have to own it, and I went through a lot, and um, there are also a lot of lessons that I learned, just life lessons um, that have made me into who I am today. And so, um, uh, again, thank you, Dustin. I'm excited to be here. So real quick, what I'm doing now, I'm down in AZ. Dustin said, I'm coaching at American Leadership Academy. They brought this guy in named Ty Denver to be the head coach. So we're coaching together and just having a blast down there. Um, in Arizona. So um, I also started a podcast called Agents of Recovery. Um, if you have a, ch have a chance, go check it out. We talk about a bunch of different topics with addiction and depression, anxiety, mental health, leadership, finding your why. I mean, I could go on and on. It's a great podcast if you guys have a chance. I'm about to open my own substance abuse counseling rehab facility as well down there in Arizona. We're really trying to get back and to save lives and do everything we can, going through it myself, almost losing my life myself. Um, I want to be able to be a light in that area, so we're doing that. And I'm getting to speak more at stuff like this. It's crazy. I was at Delta High School uh, a little bit ago. First time I'd ever been to Delta, right? And uh, um, I've been able to speak for some companies and, and get to be here tonight. It's just so cool to see the positive that's coming out of the negative part of my life and getting to share that. 
And so um, I'm going to do my best to go through that tonight um, and not be too emotional about it. I can't get through it, but uh, I'll do my best. So it's really cool that you guys are all here. And why are you here? You're here because you support, you endorse, you believe in a cause that is going to help the youth in our society today. Um, I'm not going to thank Dustin because he told me not to. So I'm going to thank all you guys for everything that you're doing um, to, to help this great idea that Dustin had. And it, this is a movement. This is a call to action. This isn't just something that we talk about. We are actually going into high schools and talking to groups and calling them into action about what we can do to have high character and to make good choices and to serve the people around us. Because at the end of the day, is there anything more important than that? And the answer is no. How we treat other people, how we live our lives is the most important thing. Like Dustin just said, who cares if I can, I can't throw a spiral anyway. So I care about that. Let, let, let's figure out who I am and what kind of character I have. Um, our youth are facing so many challenges today. You think about everything that they're having to deal with. You think about drugs, alcohol, pornography, social media. I can't tell you the number of kids that come up to me, oh, coach, did you see that guy got a scholarship offer and I'm better than him and all that. And they, they compare themselves to everybody else. And I just say, man, get off Twitter. Get off of it. It's not doing anything for it. Concentrate on you. Concentrate on what you're doing. Don't worry about that other stuff because the more you worry about it, the more depressed you get, the more your self-confidence goes down. And so that's a struggle for all these kids, um, which leads to the depression and the anxiety and the mental health issues that a lot of these kids are facing today. Um, with that, I'll kind of go ahead with my story here and um, share how that sport light was a positive thing for me and a negative thing and what I did to overcome that. So, I mean, I, I grew up in a great family in, in, in the LDS church, um, was a good kid, was taught, taught great principles and did everything I could to be the best that I can. My senior year, towards the end of my senior year is the first time that I was ever introduced to drugs. And I remember I, one of my best friends, I'm down in his basement, we're sitting there hanging out, and I noticed some of my buddies going in and out of a room, kind of in the back. So I said, what the heck are they doing back there? I'm gonna go check this out. So I walked into the room, and they got all weird. Shut the door, shut the door. I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, come here. Well, they were taking these oxys, and they were crushing them up, and they were snorting them off of the dresser. And I said, yo, you guys are nuts. You guys are crazy what the heck are you doing no man just try it just try it it's cool it's cool make you feel great we're just gonna cruise and have a good night like no I'm not doing that come on finally I fell finally I said all right give that here I'll try it and I did and there's three types of people in this world that come to opiates number one it makes you sick number two it makes you fall asleep number three guys like me that was the best feeling in the world. I felt like I could take a deep breath and all the stress and everything that I was going through as a high school kid just went away. I didn't get addicted to it at the time, but it's important to understand the first time that I was introduced to it was in high school and what that did to me later. That's really important to understand. Um, 
So after high school, I went to ASU, went on a mission, came back, decided to transfer to BYU. Had nothing to do with football. Had to do with everything of getting out of a bad environment at ASU. They were the number three party school in the nation at the time. And I remember having a conversation with my dad, like, if you go back there, what path is that going to lead you in your life? So I said, you know what, I'm going to go to BYU. One of the best decisions of my life, to go to BYU and be surrounded by the people that I was around. I am in a great sport light. And I thought I did a pretty good job of not only playing quarterback, but giving back and being in the community, representing not only a university, but representing a faith. Like that was a big responsibility. Lucky for me, I had, in my opinion, the best quarterback coach that you can have, and that's Brandon Doman. Brandon Doman is a part of this and supports E4A, and I was lucky to have him. He gave me all the self-confidence in the world. He was always telling me that we were talking about it earlier. He was just saying, Max, you can be as great as you want to be. You can be as good as you want to be, and you got it. He pumped me up on the field, and it was just amazing the relationship that I had with Coach Doman. Um, <laughs> he also taught me how to be competitive and to be tough. And I felt like as a football player, I was pretty tough. I'm gonna kind of, I'm gonna kind of puff up my chest here a little bit. All right, I was a tough football player, even as a quarterback. I would hang in there. I would take hits. I would deliver the ball, and then I talk trash to the defensive lineman that hit me. That's just how I played. I loved the game of football. I had a passion for it. There's nothing, not a better sport in the world, in my opinion, and I embrace that. I remember this one time, it was the bowl game my senior year, I took a shot. I tried to step up in the pocket and do that, hold on to the ball, throw it, and I took a shot. Um, tore my MCL, um, bad bruised ribs, and so I'm on the ground and I, I got blood coming out of my mouth. And I'm like, oh, and I get up and I look over to the sideline and Coach Doman looks at me and he's like, are you okay? For whatever reason, that ticked me off. It ticked me off that he asked me that question, and the G-rated version of it is, I said, shut up and give me the next play. All right? Come on, man. And uh, he's like, okay, whatever. Next play, I threw a touchdown pass. And that's kind of how things went for me, man. I had success. I was doing well. I was living right. Things happened to me in my career that I realized I was so blessed to be there. And the experience that I had at BYU will be some of the best years of my life, and I will always remember that. Um, I got an opportunity to go play in the NFL. Um, went, to, went back home to the Arizona Cardinals and got to start games as a rookie. Um, I eventually suffered two really bad concussions, knocked out cold on the field. Um, and I just wasn't right. And I'm, I'm sure some of, some of everybody, a lot of people in here played football, you know what a concussion feels like and the depression and the fogginess and everything that goes along with that. So I, I kind of got really depressed at the time. For the first time in my life, I felt depressed. It was weird. I didn't really know how to handle it. I'm forgetting plays. I remember they kept playing me and I'm forgetting plays at the line of scrimmage. And I just felt like I was going downhill. Uh, I think it was about week seven. Um, I was in the game, took a sack fumble and I, I reached out for the ball to get it. Someone dove right at my shoulder and it dislocated my shoulder. So I'm sitting there with my shoulder hanging out of my socket, looking at the sideline like, hey, <laughs> this thing's out, come on. So send the trainer out to me. He yanked my arm down into place. Go 
put my shoulder back and they took me back to the locker room. And when I got to the locker room, I sat down, I started bawling. I started crying my eyes out. Because in my mind, football was over. I thought I was done. And I know Dustin uh, kind of touched on this a little bit, and I'm going to tweak it a little bit, okay, Dustin? People say, hey, football's got to be something you do. It can't be who you are. But the reality of it is when you're so passionate about something and you work hard at something, it becomes part of who you are. And football was a big part of who I was. The problem is I let it be the only thing that identified me. Being a quarterback, being a football player, being in the spotlight, you know, playing on Fox, big lights in the, in the NFL. Man, that's who I was. I embraced that. So now I'm thinking that it's over, and I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know what to do. I don't know who I am. I'm in pain, concussion, emotional down. So I go to a doctor. He gives me a 30-day supply of Percocet. And um, I took, took the whole thing in about three days. Um, because it numbed it out. It took it away. I wasn't worried about anything more anymore. The physical pain, the emotional pain, everything that I was going through was gone. Well, after three days, I'm like, well, dang it, I gotta find more of this stuff. So guess who I called? My buddy from high school. I said, hey man, you still doing those pills? He goes, yeah, I got you, bro. Come on, let's go. Well, that buddy has been in and out of prison and it has totally ruined his life. But I got more pills and off I went in my addiction. It got worse and worse. It became a daily habit. It became, it got to the point to where I couldn't go four hours is when the withdrawal would start setting in and I would have to use again. So for five years, I lived in the dark. For five years, the number one thing in my life was finding drugs and using drugs. And then the next day I would do it again. That is a really crappy way to live your life. And that's what I did. I still was able to go back to the Cardinals the next year, but I was so hopped up on stuff. Now I'm, I was taking about 350 milligrams of, of Oxy a day, which eventually turned into heroin. And now I'm down and I'm trying to get up to play football. So then I got to have stimulants just to keep me awake. So then cocaine, that, everything came into it. Amphetamine. Anything that I could get my hands on, that's what I was going to do. I felt like I had to have it to function. And I couldn't see my life without it. That's how dark it got. It was hell. And addiction takes the soul of the addict. And it breaks the heart. I can never get through that part. <laughs> breaks the hearts of those who love them. I broke a lot of hearts and I caused a lot of damage. And for that, it still, it still puts a knot in my stomach. It, it's really hard for me to talk about that, but it took my soul. It almost ruined me. After five years, I, I went up to play in Canada for a little bit. I came back down and um, one Saturday morning, um, I did about 300 milligrams of oxy and a whole, almost a whole eight ball of cocaine. I found myself wandering around at Walmart, then wandering around at Best Buy. And I can make fun of myself now, but I'm like putting on headphones in the store. I'm 
gone. I have no idea what's going on. I'm acting like an idiot in this store. They call the cops, cops come out, and they arrest me. And I vividly remember, not much about that day, but I do remember them putting handcuffs on me and shoving in the back of the police car, and I remember that door getting slammed shut. Boom. Here I am sitting in the back of a police car with my hands cuffed, thinking that's it. I'm done. I'm gonna lose my family, I'm gonna lose my friends. No one's gonna want anything to do with me anymore. I'm a drug addict, just got arrested. Cocaine and paraphernalia on me. You kidding me? How did I go from being the quarterback at BYU, starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals, to a drug addict, arrested in the back of a police car. I'm telling you what, addiction doesn't care who you are, doesn't care how much money you make, doesn't care how good you are at football, it'll come after you if you let it. And it destroyed me. I remember that was on a Saturday, Monday was a holiday, Tuesday hit the press. And Twitter, I was on every front page of the newspaper, news station, I'm, people are making fun of me, they're making memes, they're going, you know, I was embarrassed. I, I wanted to just go away, so I remember Tuesday morning when it came out, and I found out about it. I can't remember exactly what parking lot I was in, but I, I remember sitting down on a curb in this parking lot, and for the first time in my life, I didn't think it was worth going on anymore. I thought, I'm just going to end it right here. I'm going to figure it out. But for the first time, I thought about killing myself. It was the lowest point in my life sitting on that curb. I felt alone. I felt scared. felt like I had lost everything. That's what it did to me. No confidence. I didn't know what to do. So I remember it came out. I don't remember much about the day, but I got picked up. I think my mom came and picked me up, took me over to their house, and I sat down with some family members, some close friends, and they're like, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just, I dug my grave. I'm going to lay in it. That's kind of how I felt. I turned my phone off because I was getting texts and stuff like that, so I turned my phone off. Something in me said, turn your phone back on. When I turned my phone back on, the first call that I got was from Brandon Doman. I just told you the relationship I had for, for you coaches and administrators and leaders. You have no idea the effect, well maybe you do, the effect that you can have on young kids. Brandon Doman called me up. He was my guy, he was my coach. He taught me everything about how to be a quarterback and how to be a good person. Called me up and he said, Max, we got you. Get on a plane, get up here to Utah, we're gonna take care of you. I said, okay, I guess that's what we're doing. So I flew up, they got me to a rehab center. I spent 90 days in the rehab center. The first two weeks I was in withdrawal, kicking, 
hot and cold sweats. I can't stop throwing up, shaking. It's like, imagine the worst flu you've ever had times it by 10. That's what, that's what I'm going through right now. And I wouldn't answer the phone because I thought Kenzie was going to leave me. I thought she was out. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't take any messages. I wouldn't talk to her. I didn't want to do it. I couldn't face it. So my counselor says, Max, get on the phone and talk to your wife. And when I got on the phone and talked to her, she said, babe, I love you. And if you're willing to fight, I'm willing to fight with you. And she stuck with me. And that gave me a little bit of hope. And so I said, okay, or maybe I can get through this. Maybe I can overcome it. Friends, coaches started coming to visit me in there. I started to kind of come out. At about 30 days of your addiction, your mind starts to clear. Your, your receptors and everything in your brain start to reconnect. You start to be normal. It's also the time when the cravings happen. I want everybody to imagine something right here because pretty much everybody in this room is addicted to your phone. Absolutely. So I want you to imagine taking your phone, put it in your pocket, leave the ringer on, Leave the vibrate on, make sure every notification is on, and that thing's just dinging in your pocket. All you want to do is grab your phone, right? And you can make any excuse you want why to take that phone out of your pocket, but if you do, you relapse. That's what it's like being a drug addict. That's what it's like having a craving. That was hard. So when I, got, when I got out of that rehab, two weeks later, I was the most depressed I'd ever been in my life. And all of a sudden, I'm experiencing this anxiety. Man, I had played in front of thousands of people, done tons of interviews, spoken at firesides. And I can't even answer a phone call. I was scared to death at a family, like just my family dinner Sunday night. I'm like, please don't call me to say the prayer, Dad because my heart would start and I couldn't breathe and I didn't know what was wrong with me. I'd never experienced that before. So let me tell you guys, this thing's Heidi thing, it's real. Depression, it's real. When I did answer my phone, they'd be like, any friends or whatever, Max, how you doing? I'd be like, well, I'm sitting around. I'm not drinking or using drugs. Other than that, I'm absolutely miserable. Thanks for asking. <laughs> About a year afterwards, Kenzie's like, nah, we ain't, we're not doing this. This isn't fighting. You got to change. You have to make a decision on what you're going to do next. And so I had, to, I had to make a choice. And I decided I was willing to do anything and everything that I had to do to get sober and to change my life around. This anxiety thing that I'm talking about, I'm going to give you a good idea. This is actually from Kenzie, and this is awesome. This is this explains anxiety. If you've never suffered or you've never had anything, let me explain it to you. And I want you to think about these high school kids as I do, because this is some of the things that they're going through. Having anxiety and depression is like being scared and tired at the same time. It's the fear of failure, but no urge to be productive. It's wanting friends, but hating socializing. It's wanting to be alone, but not wanting to be lonely. It feels like everything at once, and it feels like you're numb. Everything is happening, but you're numb to it. 
you can't function. And that, that, that's how I was, and that's how a lot of these high school kids are. That's one great thing that I have about a coach. X's and O's and great are great. And me and Dustin could sit up and draw plays at 2 in the morning all night long. But the best part about my job is mentoring these high school kids, is coaching them and teaching them to have high character, to make good choices, and to serve the people around them, to help other kids. That's what it's all about. That's what E4A is all about. So I love what we're doing here. Like I said, this is a movement. This is much needed. Hopefully you guys realize how many kids are struggling with this. Having been at the point where I thought about suicide, I can't remember the stat, Dustin, but there's a lot of kids out there committing suicide. Why? What are they going through? What's going on at home? What's going on with their friends? Do they have somebody to talk to? Do they have a coach or a mentor or somebody that can help them? That's what we're trying to do, right? That's what it's all about. We're going to teach these young men and young women how to grow up and how to be successful in whatever endeavor they go into in life. We got to get them there. And it's people like you in this room who believe in this that can make a difference. It's a lot of it is, is mindset. I had to change my mindset from being a victim of addiction, okay, into being a leader and to stand up and to own my story. And maybe I can use that to affect the lives of others. So these kids, when they come to me and have these problems, I can call their bull crap all the time. I'd be like, nah, give me that, you know, let's talk about this bait pen that you got. Let's talk about this that you're doing. Let's talk about how you're addicted to your phone. You can't stop watching porn. I deal with it on a daily basis. And I do my best to help them. Having been through it myself, I do my, I wish I'd have had somebody in high school teaching me this stuff. Maybe I would have never used that drug. Maybe I would have treated people better. Who knows? But I didn't have that. We're trying to give kids that. We're trying to train the coaches and everybody how to handle that. The kids that are doing great, how can you help others? But here's the thing. Even the kids that seem like they're doing great, they have issues too. They're struggling. I never thought I would ever be a drug addict. I never thought something like that would happen to me. Raised in a great family, went to BYU, playing in the NFL. Yeah, it can happen to any of us. Any of us. And I hope we I hope you guys all understand that it can happen to any of you in this room. You go get a surgery, they give you Percocet, off you go. If you're not careful. The number one reason why kids are getting addicted to opiates is getting their wisdom teeth out. So if you got a kid getting their wisdom teeth out, be careful about what you're giving them, okay? Monitor that. Fentanyl. Everybody in here has heard of fentanyl, right? It's coming through the border like crazy, and it's making its way to Utah. Just the other day, right over there, I think it was kind of in the Nephi area, they made a huge bust of thousands of, pill of uh, pills of fentanyl. Fentanyl 
is 80 to 100 times more potent than heroin. A little pinch of salt, of fentanyl will kill you. And you got guys in whatever jungle or however they're making this, and they can press the pills, and they can make them look exactly like a Tylenol or a Percocet. Or they make them look just like an Oxycontin, but really it's fentanyl. Every week in Arizona, we hear of another high school kid ODing and dying from taking one pill. And sometimes it was the first pill they ever took because someone convinced them to take it. Just like I fell to it. They're dying left and right because of this stuff. It is so important that we teach our kids and teach our athletes about the dangers of this stuff and to stay away from it. So I mentioned a little bit about having to change my mind and I'm getting close to the end here, just hang on. I know I've been a little bit lengthy, but this stuff is important. This is what I teach my kids, my, my players mainly. And it's the difference between being a victim and being a leader. A victim blames others for everything that's going on in their lives, all the negative. They're going to blame everybody else around them. A leader is going to accept responsibility for their actions and look to improve. A victim is selfish and self-centered, only worried about them and whatever, their playing time, their catches, number of shots they get up, right? A leader is service-oriented and looks to lift other people up around them, who's not jealous, but excited when they see somebody else have success and they thrive off that. A true leader will never be jealous of somebody else's success. A victim will hope things will happen to them. They'll sit around and talk about how they should be D1 and they should be getting a scholarship, but I'm like, what are you doing? You're not doing anything extra. You're not working hard. You're just hoping something good would happen to you. A leader's gonna take that action. They're gonna go the extra mile. They're gonna run that last wind sprint. They're going to look for somebody that they can serve. Last, the victim always sees a problem and a leader always sees an opportunity to grow and to get better. Those principles have gone a long way with the kids that I'm around. When I can teach them to train or to change their mindset into a leadership mentality, you see growth, you see a change. So, I guess to kind of wrap things up, I made a decision to move forward. I made a decision to accept responsibility and be accountable and to own my story and everything that I've done. Everybody, our youth needs this. And it's amazing to see as Dustin was up here talking about all the schools and all the kids and all the hours that are being put in to this organization. This is a movement, like I said. This is action. This is teaching. This is standing up for what's right and not accepting that it's okay to do some of the things in this world that people are starting to say are, is okay. We need to do things the right way. We are making a difference and we are changing lives. And I'm so grateful that I can be a small part of this. I'm so grateful for the lessons that are taught 
from this organization. And I love that even Dustin's a great quarterback coach. That's not the most important thing. I love that. That is why I am part of QB Elite and I am part of E4A because of that. Having been through it myself, nothing, in it, nothing else in life matters. We are making a difference. We are saving lives. And I appreciate all of you for what you are doing and supporting this cause. So let's keep our eyes up and let's continue to do the work. Thank you guys. This has been the Sportlight Podcast from Especially for Athletes, sponsored by Coca-Cola. You can learn more about Especially for Athletes by visiting the website at especiallyforathletes.org. You can also learn more about the book, The Sportlight, by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at especiallyforathletes.org slash book.